why can't I just get paid by people on the internet easily? There's no option for me to pay someone over the internet without middlemen. And that is what Bitcoin represents. How can I do a cash transaction over the internet from my pocket to your pocket without people scraping fees or seeing what we're doing? Probably for your generation, my generation, when you ask that question, what is money? The picture that comes up is the green US dollar. And that is not going to be the same for the younger generations. Less people are going to see money as the dollar bills and the cash, and more people are going to see money as whatever their phone says they have. I bought a used car recently, and the used car dealer wouldn't take cash. The more I hear about it, the more I just think it is the smart and safe bet. The point of Bitcoin is to be your own bank. It's like before you needed a bank, now you can be your own bank. And the, the fact that the price is going up, I mean, that's pretty cool too. We stand today. The business method the business with method. a shout The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring over 500 episodes of entrepreneurs and high-performance experts dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. We've been fortunate enough to interview some of the leading experts in business and performance today. The billionaire CEO of Priceline, Jeff Hoffman, the CEO of Chipotle, Monty Moran, world's top big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, the first black woman to build a billion dollar company Janet Halroyd, world's top investment expert Jim Rogers, and the list goes on and on. All of these guests you can find on the podcast backlog using Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and any podcast app you prefer. Also you guys, have you started listening to our micro high performance episodes yet? We've taken the most powerful tips and tricks from over 400 interviews that our guests have shared on how to optimize their own personal performance, and we've made them into digestible micro-podcast episodes that are just 2 to 10 minutes long. We publish these on Monday and Friday each week, and those episodes are labeled as HP number 123456 and so on. Those episodes are live now, and they're designed for you to consume some quick, high-quality content while you only have a few minutes to spare. So be sure to subscribe to the Business Method Podcast on your favorite app so you can get those delivered as soon as they're live. And now, let's hop into today's episode. The Business Method. Hey listeners, real quick before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our trips and adventures for entrepreneurs. We have live events in different locations around the world, luxury trips to the Caribbean, adventurous trips to knock off your bucket list, and of course some private business events as well. If you're an entrepreneur, we'd love to have you join us. Make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at thebusinessmethod.com to stay updated. And for those established entrepreneurs out there that want to be involved in a community that is curated specifically for seasoned business minds, then we have a group for you. Inside this group, we have private live events in different locations around the world specifically for our members. We get those members in a place where they can connect, collaborate, and grow their companies faster just by being around one another. We also organize private podcast viewings and Q&A sessions with some of the world's top entrepreneurs like Jim Rogers, Alex Hermosi, the CEO of Chipotle, the marketing mind behind GoPro. And as a member of our group, you'll get to hop on calls with our podcast guests regularly to ask them any questions you want. And the last benefit is access to private world-class masterminds that are specifically curated for whatever challenges you're going through at the time. Our purpose with this private community is to help you expand your network, connect with some of the brightest minds in business today, and help one another overcome business challenges faster. You can learn more about our community at thebusinessmethod.com. Remember, subscribe to stay updated. And now let's hop into today's show. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, these are all newer terms for a new form of currency that, to be honest, is now a major player in the global finance and now a part of human culture. It is the first global non-governmental regulated currency in the history of the world, and it was made by the common people for the common people to keep governments of the world out of our bank accounts. As an American myself and most of us have never experienced governments taking our money, well, 
except for our taxes. And some of those taxes that you're paying, if you did some in-depth research, you might not approve of, even if you're a good red-blooded tax-paying American. But there are many governments of the world, even today, that go right in and take people's money from their bank accounts. It's happened in Argentina in the 90s, and whether you know it or not, even the good old US of A plays with the value of the American dollar on how much you can spend with it on a regular basis. So you might not see how they're playing with our money, but they are and they have for decades. This leads us to a newer phenomenon called cryptocurrency. It is, uh, we think and we hope, in turning out to be a form of currency with the idea that money exchanges can happen and the governments of the world have no idea that it happened. You can hold your wealth that you've earned and those governments won't know about it unless you decide to tell them. Today on the podcast, we have a friend of the show and crypto expert who goes by Gerbs. Gerbs has been holding crypto pretty much since it was formed around a decade ago and even started a business that accepted only cryptocurrency so he could get more of it. Gerbs is the founder of BitLift, a crypto e-com business with a crypto educational aspect, and he's the host of the BitLift podcast. He's on our show today. Gerbs, how's it going, man? Awesome, dude. By the people, for the people. I love that intro. That was good. It was by the people by internet tech nerds, people, common people. <laughs> we think for the common was people. a person, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to dive into, I think I, I might title this this podcast Crypto for Dummies because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time and I've been investing mainly in gold and silver and some stocks and stuff uh, in the past. But even myself have just in 2021 finally started to dive down the crypto rabbit hole, mainly because I have friends like yourself uh, and some others out there that are deep into cryptocurrency. And the more I hear about it, the more I just think it is, um, it is, it's, it's the smart and safe bet. And I know back in 2009, I started investing in gold and silver, thinking that hyperinflation would then eventually increase the price of gold and silver. But it kind of seems like now those people that would have invested in gold and silver during this time because our currency is hyperinflated are kind of putting their money towards uh, some cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and Ethereum and some other coins that are out there. So we can talk about that later. But anything before we dive in, Gerbs, anything you'd like to share about yourself other than the intro that I did? No, just that I'm a developer, and I think I came at crypto from with a developer mindset early on. Mm-hmm. A lot of people came in because they hear about it in the mainstream media, and they see price going up, and they want in before everyone else. And, and that's the way most people get into crypto. Um, but I really love it for the practical reasons, like being a developer, being in e-commerce, accepting payments in a way where I didn't have middlemen or people scraping fees from me or people who can shut down my accounts. That was the stuff that really lit me up. And the the fact that the price is going up, I mean, that's pretty cool too. Yeah, it's going up a lot. Um, yeah, and let's talk about that. One of the things that's really frustrating for me is like at when I started as an entrepreneur in two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, you know, my bank account was with my business bank account was with Bank of America. And I, I just got so annoyed with the fees that they were charging all the time. And I, I'll yeah. never bank with Bank of America anymore just because of that bad experience I had as a young entrepreneur. And and now my, you know, I do business internationally quite often, changing currencies from one platform to the other. My go-to, the simple simple one is PayPal, right? So if I send somebody from Ukraine or Brazil or or Thailand some money, it's possible, but not always really easy. And PayPal slaps on. It's it's kind of an expensive platform, to be fair. It makes it easier, oh, yeah, but it is more definitely. expensive. And so it's just there's there's always like just frustration sending money, especially abroad. And it's just not like a simple process, but. Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is the thing that we hope, you know, that has formed into a thing that, that makes it very simple, frictionless for me to send money to somebody in Thailand, somebody in Japan, you to send money to me, you know, whomever. And it's just done in a few seconds. And the only record of it is the record that you hold of it, right? Sure. Actually, it's almost the opposite. The record is the most shared, most public information imaginable. It's just that your name isn't tied to it on right. in that public database. Or your social security number or yeah. your business, you know, asset or anything like that. So That's right. So, okay. So tell us the early days of crypto, what happened and then why you decided to get involved. 
Yeah. So, I mean, coming at it from e-commerce, I was trying to set up this, uh, WePay was like a, one of these online merchants back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to set up a WePay account to accept payment for the software I was, I was building. And I kept bumping into problems with them. I, I hadn't even taken a payment yet. And it was like two weeks of paper, like faxing paperwork back and forth and all these hurdles. And then two weeks into actually getting my account set up, I had like five transactions done and they froze my account because of some, <laughs> I don't even really remember the reason. And so during that journey, I was just exploring like, why can't I just get paid by people on the internet easily? Like, right. this is silly. Um, and that's actually how I stumbled into Bitcoin. I was looking for a way to just accept payment without these gatekeepers. Um, and the first thing I did is I read the Bitcoin white paper. I just, it's, it's eight pages long. Most people in crypto, even if you've been in crypto for five years, most people haven't even read it. Tell and us what that a, is. What is What is a Bitcoin white paper? Yeah, when Satoshi, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is a, a pseudonymous guy who, uh, who wrote the initial software and kind of came up, solved some of the initial problems that Bitcoin solves. Mm -hmm. And he wrote this eight page document just outlining what Bitcoin is, why it needs to exist and how it works. And it's the first couple pages are why it should exist. And you don't need a technical background to read those two pages. It does get a little technical, but read them three times and you'll get it. And it's only eight pages long and it's worth spending a little time to really see like this is crypto history right here. This is the guy who kind of invented this whole industry now. And why did he think we needed this and what were his, his early approaches? Um, and it, that, that was kind of my starting point. And it just... The very first thing he talks about is people should be able to make payments to each other online. Yeah. Like it's, I think it's the first sentence in the white paper. Yeah. And that just lit me up and it's been crypto ever since. If I can interject right here, Greg, it's more than crypto history. It is it is the kind of revolution of currency, those those eight pages. And I actually I haven't read them myself, but you know, after <laughs> hearing you talk about that, I need to go check You'll those do out. It. But where where can you, and here's why I say it's actually the revolution of currency, is because the percentage of people that are using cryptocurrency now is, is very small. And it's actually growing and growing and growing every year, every year, every year. There's more people, there's more people, there's more people. Eventually, the common folks out there, the construction workers, the insurance salesmen, you know, everybody out there is going to get to a point where everybody is going to be using it on a regular basis. We think, we believe. When that happens, the value of it will skyrocket. It'll go through the roof completely. And we've seen the value mm -hmm. of it, especially in the past two years, really kind of go through the roof when it's gotten more, gotten more momentum. But where can we find those those eight pages? Oh, uh, you can find them at bitcoin.org slash bitcoin.pdf. Easy enough. Okay. That's the spot. <laughs> and if you search Bitcoin white paper on Google, it'll be the first thing you find. It'll come up. Okay, cool. So if you guys have any interest or money practices, meaning spending money or receiving money, which is all of us, I think it's worth just going to read those eight pages because it'll really open up your eyes to what is happening and why we have that. Does that, would you agree, Gerbs? I would definitely do that. And as part of that little uh, early history, you know, one of the biggest questions that I find kind of opens the floodgates, and I learned this from uh, this guy, Robert Breedlove, who's a big uh, Bitcoin guy. Mm -hmm. He talks about this question of what is money? Mm -hmm. And that simple question, we all use it, we all see it, we all you know dream about it, but what the hell is it? That question and going down that rabbit hole is really interesting. And you learn a lot about like why is it that gold was money? Or why is it that until Bitcoin, you know, gold and silver was like the best way to hedge against the dollar? All of these it opens up so many questions about money. And since it's such a big part of our life, I think it's an important question to spend some time uh, digging into. So it's funny like that you mentioned that probably for for your generation, my generation, um, when you ask that question, what is money? The picture that comes up is the green U.S. dollar, right? That's right. And that is not going to be the same for the younger generations. I don't know what generation we're on now, like Y or A or, you know, who knows? We started back MC over. MC squared yeah, or whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> but for the younger generations, because, like, I don't use cash that much anymore. How often do you use cash? I'm getting rid of it. I have, you have to, like, I went to a, I bought a used car recently, and the used car dealer wouldn't take cash. There and I realized at that point, I was like, <laughs> if a used car dealer won't take it, no one will. I better get rid of this stuff. 
Exactly. So less and less people are using the actual dollar bills and the coins, right? More and more people are using credit cards, debit cards for transactions. You know, I can send you, you can send me money through Venmo really easily and rapidly, but then PayPal as well. So it's just getting mm -hmm. easier to, and, and we can even pay with our phones now, as long as our credit card information is in there. You tap it, you tap your phone on the credit card machine and boom, payment transaction is done. And so less people are going to see money as the dollar bills and the cash and more people are going to see money as whatever their phone says they have. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah just a digital number. I was talking about this with a friend recently, like, you know, in the past, if you walk into a convenience store, you had an option, you could pay with cash or you could pay with credit or, mm -hmm. or debit and the credit debit option. It, it hasn't, there's middlemen there's, and there's a lot of them in between that are going to be facilitating this money at some point, leaving your bank account and at some day, arriving at the 7-Eleven bank account, right? Mm -hmm. But today, and if you if you kind of take that to the internet today where most of our transactions are taking place, most of mine certainly are, there isn't a cash option. There's actually, there's no option for me to pay someone over the internet without middlemen. Mm -hmm. And that is exact, that's what Bitcoin represents. It's like, how can I do a cash transaction over the internet from my pocket to your pocket without people scraping fees or seeing what we're doing? And I think that that's what Bitcoin represents. Hey, real quick to the listeners out there, I want to ask you something. What are you doing to optimize your day-to-day -day performance and productivity levels? You know, guys, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and we're always trying to learn more and more about how each and every one of us can optimize our performance. The reason why I'm asking you is because today our show is sponsored by the good folks at Seize. Seize is a mental wellness company that aims to empower entrepreneurs and high performers with supplements to enhance their productivity and minimize their pain points. Flow is their flagship product, which is a ready-to-drink powder that comes in a 30-day stick pack that works as an energy and focus enhancer. Flow was created to improve your focus, increase your alertness, enhance your creativity so you can tackle the prime tasks of the day while staying in a creative flow state. On top of that, there are no energy crashes with their product Flow, which means an improved mood and enthusiastic approach to business. These benefits are a supreme advantage for entrepreneurs and high performers to sustain their performance on a regular basis. Flow is an instant and sustained boost. It can be a replacement or enhancement for coffee so you no longer require many cups per day to combat lethargy and the sluggish part of the day just to stay on top of things. Flow will give you what you need to get your brain cells firing so you can optimize your work results, hit your goals, have more time doing what you love, and spending time with loved ones so you can seize each and every day. When you sign up for Seize's VIP list, you get first access and can receive 50% off the pre-launch offer, you guys. That is half off during this pre-launch offer. Just head over to Seize.life forward slash the business method. That's Seize, S-I-I-Z, Seize.life forward slash the business method to get your discount. We'll put all the links in the show notes, you guys. And now let's hop back into the interview. What year did uh, Bitcoin come out? When was it? Uh, 2008 was the very early 2010, I believe it was released, um, like the, the kind of first version. Okay. Uh, around that time. Okay. And then when did you start getting into it? 2013 was my first uh, venture down the rabbit hole. How much was it then? Uh, 250 bucks. 250 bucks for Bitcoin in 2013. Now it's worth 45,000. Yeah, today, I guess. Roughly around 45,000. Yeah. Yeah. A great investment. What's the percentage on that return? Oh man, I've, I've never calculated it. I have no idea. So I was one of the reasons I decided to start getting rid of gold and silver and, and buying more crypto is because I looked at the, I think it was a 40 year return on holding, on holding gold and silver. And it was like, if you invested, it's, it's something <laughs> like this. Don't quote me exactly. $10,000 40 years ago, it's now worth $150,000 roughly. And I'm like 40 years for 10,000 10, mm -hmm. to 100, that's not that great of a return. Like what? Yeah, that's a whole other lifetime. Yeah, exactly. That's an entire working career for a human being. Like it goes from 10 grand to 150 grand where cryptocurrency, that same 10 grand, if it invested in 2013 would be worth, I don't yeah. know. It's a lot. Can you calculate Let, that? I mean, let's yeah, yeah. let's talk about why like we're talking about gold at all. I think that's so interesting because, you know, gold, it's it's a metal rock. So like, why is this the thing that we're hedging against our, our dollars with and stuff? And the reason and, and I was going to bring up earlier this book, The Bitcoin Standard, 
it's actually a book that sat on my shelf forever because I'd been in Bitcoin already for like five years when the book came out. And I'm like, I don't want to read another Bitcoin book, right? And one day I picked it up and I realized the first three quarters of the book are about the history of money and why and how gold became money and why Bitcoin is the alternative. So, and then the last chapter, the last two chapters are about Bitcoin. So I highly recommend that if you're asking this, what is money question? Um, but it really gets into this idea that um, gold is a finite resource and we've been, we've been mining it for generations, right? And even no matter how much money we invest in mining and trying to discover as much gold as we can, we can only kind of pull about 2% more gold out of the ground every year. And if we invest more money, even if we invest more money in the process, we can't find more of it. And that's, that's why gold became like this perfect money. It was this virtually stable supply. It grew at about a fixed amount every year, but we knew we could rely on it to not just like quadruple. We knew the government couldn't print four times as much gold tomorrow. So we used gold to keep the government honest. That's all it did. When we talk about how our money used to be backed by something, it wasn't because there was like a physical object behind it. It's more because it just, it kept the government honest. They couldn't print more dollar bills than they had gold in their safe. And once we kind of screwed that up, now we just print as much paper as we want. Um, that's, that's, that's where Bitcoin steps in and says, wait, 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 we can use really good math to create a fixed supply. And, and we can use cryptography to ensure that it just kind of is issued at this this kind of stable rate and can never be messed up. Even if the governments wanted to print more, they couldn't. And that's why. And, and not only that, it's better because you can't send me a metal rock over the Internet. And we live in the future now. So you got to be able to send me money. Yeah. So Bitcoin is launched. They have the eight page white paper. And the guy that supposedly invented it was Satoshi, what was this? Was Satoshi it? Nakamoto. Nakamoto. And that was a pseudonym, so nobody actually knows the person. And it may actually be a group of people, too. People don't know for sure, right? Might be. And still, to this day, 12, 13 years later or whatever, nobody knows the group that created Bitcoin or the person. And they did that for, the, we assume, the reason that they wanted to, to, they didn't want anybody to be associated with the creation of the currency so it could still be a complete independent free currency. Is that correct? Yeah, that's one of the big reasons. Yeah. I think another reason was there had been attempts to create internet money before this. Mm -hmm. um, it ran into some technological problems, but it's still they still had solved some problems as well. And those companies got, they got the, the government went after them. They told them like, you can't create money. It's illegal to create money. <laughs> and so I think part of the reason is he didn't want that to happen to him or this this new project he was working on. Yeah, interesting. I didn't know that point. So we have Bitcoin and it was released, you know, say 2007-ish, 2008. Is that right? Yeah, right timeline. Or eight, yeah. 2008. And um, how did it start to get traction? Um, the beginnings of Bitcoin. So Satoshi just, he there was these forums. It was like the, these crypto, where these crypto geeks hang, hung out yeah. and... Uh, cryptography geeks rather not not cryptocurrency geeks right people okay. who are into like really advanced math and he kind of he was i think he was a member of that um, mailing list and he just dropped an email in there one day and was like hey i came up with this cryptographic money that i think solves a lot of the problems we've been talking about um here's a here's a white paper check it out and uh from there it was just this tiny little bulletin board in the corner of the internet and for the first few years actually there was just a couple of guys kind of riffing with each other, building this very first version of what became Bitcoin today. Okay. And so you had these few guys using it. And, you know, obviously at that time, nobody was taking it, you know, that serious. When was the, when was the shift? When did people start saying this is, you know, more than just the, the cryptographer nerds out there? Uh, when was the shift that people started actually using it to exchange Bitcoin um, for value? So Satoshi, you know, he hung around in these um, BitcoinTalk.org, which is, is this popular, um, you know, bulletin border forum where people talk about crypto stuff. And he was hanging around there quite a bit. Um, there was this one stage where um, 
uh, WikiLeaks came out with some some new drop of a bunch of information they had obtained. Okay. And WikiLeaks, uh, they got shut down by the the payment processors they were using to accept tips and donations. Mm -hmm. And so WikiLeaks put up a Bitcoin address and said, "Hey, we can't we can't accept your donations anymore, but pay us in Bitcoin so that we can keep doing the work that we're doing." And that that was like that made headlines. And in fact, um, some Satoshi references it in one of the forum posts. He says, "You know, it's it's too soon like to be getting this much attention." Um, and we've kicked the hornet's nest with this, with, with WikiLeaks, uh -huh. uh, and we better, we got to be careful. And somewhere around that time, Satoshi disappears forever. <laughs> it's true. It's such a great story. It's going to make a, an amazing movie one of these days. Totally. <laughs> so for years, um, you mentioned that Bitcoin and a couple other forks of Bitcoin, like Litecoin and Dogecoin are all that existed. And yeah. what is a fork of, of Bitcoin? Yeah, so um, there's a couple different different types of forks, but for simplicity's sake, you can just make a copy of the code, mm -hmm. run it on a computer, change the name of it, maybe change like, as we all know, Bitcoin. There's gonna there's gonna be 21 million Bitcoins. It's this famous number, right? Mm -hmm. But you, uh, Dogecoin, I think they picked 100 billion as the number of of Dogecoin that'll exist, right? Just because of Doctor the Doctor Evil meme. So they just like you know took the Bitcoin code, changed a few variables, changed the name and the logo, and re-released it. Um, that's a fork. Okay. It's just um, it's it's taking code, making a copy of it and a few changes of it. Now, this is a fork of that same code that's going to kind of fork off in its own direction. Yeah. And the very early versions of uh, the first cryptos that came after Bitcoin were all forks. Um, Dogecoin is a great example. Litecoin is another example. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple more and they start to get a little more sophisticated. But for the most part, early days, everything was kind of a copy of Bitcoin. Okay. So when you talk about the code, you're a coder. I'm not a coder. Most people aren't coders. I think that's confusing for a lot of people. What what does it mean you take the code and, and copy it? Essentially, it's just copying what Bitcoin is already with the computer code and then creating a new one with a new name. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Bitcoin is software. Like we're seeing each other over Zoom right now. Right. Um, if I now Zoom compiles their code and then releases this kind of final application, okay. and you don't have Zoom's source code, it's probably a closed source thing. They they keep and protect that that Zoom code, right? right? But Bitcoin is open source. If you go to GitHub, you can look and read and see every line of code in Bitcoin. It's fully transparent. Right. And so, uh, you know, I can't make a copy of Zoom and release you know, you know, goom, it's not, it's not possible. I have to start from scratch, but with Bitcoin, you can just fork a copy and, and start going. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why Bitcoin is, we talk about all these other coins and other forks and why is Bitcoin so valuable? If it's so easy to just cop, make copies of it. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, when we think back to these this early days of these guys that were sitting around and no one cared about this little Bitcoin project they were working on, that will never happen again. Right. It'll never happen again. You can, even if you make the most sophisticated version of a cryptocurrency known to man, everyone knows about it the second you tweet about it today. Right. And everyone cares because they all want to capture that, that upside like Bitcoin did. Why did they just release 21 million coins? Did they ever share? Uh, no, actually. In fact, in the white paper, I don't think it actually references the number 21 million. Okay. And then when the first version of the software came out, that was the number Satoshi chose. Um, I don't know if this is a rumor or if it's true. But I think like early versions of the source code of for Bitcoin, it had like a little blackjack like program in it. Okay. And there's some rumor that maybe the reason he picked 21 is that the number didn't actually matter. And the number is just as long as it's fixed, we can pick any number we want. And maybe Satoshi liked to play blackjack. Why does it have to be fixed? Um, it has to be a fixed supply in the way. So talking about um, sound money once again, and going back to this idea that the supply of gold on earth is relatively fixed and it grows at this stable rate. Um, Satoshi wanted to accomplish something similar with Bitcoin by having this sound, making it sound money. Okay. And just for the listeners out there that are new to cryptocurrency, because the coin is now $45,000 doesn't mean you can't buy one. You can buy a fraction of the coin. You're not buying right. a coin that you put in your pocket or even a gold or silver coin. You're buying a fraction of a percentage of the coin that you hold in your wallet and not your physical wallet. That's right. And tell us what a wallet is, a cryptocurrency wallet. Yeah, wallet is uh, a piece of software. You can think of it like the wallet you carry around with you, you know, when you go to the grocery store. 
but a, a Bitcoin wallet, it holds on to your private keys for your Bitcoin. And this is actually something that takes, uh, it's, there's a little inception that you got, uh, you got to work through this idea that your Bitcoins are never in your wallet. Your Bitcoins are in the blockchain. Mm -hmm. The blockchain is just this ledger of numbers that, um, of Bitcoins appearing in the world. And then from that point forward, every transaction that's ever occurred with them all the way back to when they were created. And your wallet holds the private keys that allow you to kind of point anywhere on the blockchain and say, hey, that row, that transaction, that one's mine. And I can prove it because my wallet says so. The, the private keys in my wallet say so. Right. Okay. So where, if you want to buy some crypto, you've got to get a wallet. But yeah, how, how does one buy cryptocurrency? Um, there's actually three ways to get crypto, okay. right? You can mine it, but that's complicated and technical. Okay. You can accept it as payment. That's where I started. Or you can buy it. And then when you buy it, uh, you're going to buy it from someone else who has it, okay. right? And typically, you'll start somewhere like Coinbase or one of these centralized exchanges that are sort of the modern day equivalent of a crypto bank. I think that's that's like the that's a big starting point for everyone in crypto. So they can go and download a, the Coinbase app, or is there yep. any other uh, wallets that you recommend besides Coinbase? Well, okay. So when we talk about wallets, let's break it into two types. Okay. There's custodial wallets and there's non-custodial wallets. Okay. Custodial means that there's a custodian. Someone else is holding on to your crypto. Mm -hmm. When you get the Coinbase app and you buy some Bitcoin with them and they show it in your account, they're like, "Yeah, you know, uh, Chris has you know 0.1 Bitcoin in his in his wallet." The reality is, Coinbase has 0.1 Bitcoin in their wallet. And it's got your name next to it in their database. Very similar to banks these days that hold, you know, say you have $10,000 in the bank. Okay, you don't have that physical money. The bank does. Got it. And then your name is next to it. Okay. Got it. Better yet, when you open to that bank account, you signed a, a freaking like 500 page document that says this money is no longer mine. It's now yours to do whatever you want with it. Hopefully uh, you'll give it back to me. Yeah, that, that document what... that nobody remembers they signed, right? Exactly. So the same thing happens with your Coinbase account, very unfortunately. Okay. This is how people enter the crypto world. But the reality is you need you need a bridge, right? You've got these US dollars and you need to bridge into the cryptoverse. How do you convert these dollars into Bitcoin? That's why you need a Coinbase. Um, and that's one of these custodial wallets. Um, and I, that's the place that everyone starts. It's the place that you should start. Um, it's a safe place to start. It's highly regulated. Um, but like start there with the goal of being at some point, I'm going to acquire the knowledge and experience to take these Bitcoin into my own wallet that mm -hmm. I have custody of. And that would be a non-custodial wallet. Okay. So we have the custodial wallets like Coinbase where... You know, they do charge a fee to buy, and that's how they continue to operate and make money. Yep. Uh, very much like a bank. You know, a bank has, holds your money, has your name next to it. Mm -hmm. um, there's no names associated with cryptocurrency, so all you do is you have your key that's associated with it uh, in Coinbase, correct? Uh, nope. Uh, Actually, no. Coinbase doesn't even give you a key. Okay. And they do, are going to take a ton of identity information about you. They, they operate very Coinbase much like a bank. Coinbase does that, yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's when you get into being uh, having a non-custodial wallet. Okay. And pretty much any of these wallets, if you download a wallet and it says, here's your private key, write it down on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 12 words. Keep them a secret. Um, that's a that's a, a non-custodial wallet. That's that's where you're going to be getting this password, this really strong password that if anyone knew your password, they could they could take your crypto. OK, so how do we get a non-custodial wallet? Those sound more interesting. Yeah, that's where the fun stuff happens. Right. And it's where things begin to get complicated or, or a little technical, um, but we'll, we'll keep it simple, right? Um, there are a ton of wallets in the App Store. If you, if you go into the App Store and you search uh, Bitcoin wallet, you'll find a bunch of them. Um, how trustworthy they are is up for grabs, um, but these are going to be called hot wallets. Okay. So a, a hot wallet is a type of wallet where your private key is, is created on a device that's connected to the internet. So if you download a wallet from an App Store and you install it on your phone, that's a hot wallet, period. Okay. Anytime, anytime your thing's connected to the internet, it's a hot wallet. What are some um, of them, real quick, you can name? Uh, so Coinbase also has a, a non-custodial wallet, okay. which is, uh, I actually like it a lot, and they, they give you a private key. So you can transfer your crypto from Coinbase proper to Coinbase wallet, which okay. is a separate product where you hold the private key. Um, but there's other Bitcoin ones like Mycelium, um, a popular Ethereum wallet is uh, MetaMask. That's a good place to start. Okay. Um, so 
man, there's there's literally hundreds. Um, Mycelium is another good uh, crypto wallet for mobile phones. Okay. Um, but all of these we're talking are hot wallets. You're going to use them sort of like, like the wallet you carry around with you for spending cash, right? Right, because they were connected to this kind of insecure device when they were set up in the first place. Okay. Um, yes, more on non-custodial wallets. So, yeah. So, how do we get? So, if we bought money on a custodial wallet like uh, Coinbase and then yep. transferred transferred it to our non-custodial wallets, correct? We can mm -hmm. do that. Yep. Um, but we could also do peer-to-peer -peer transactions for the non-custodial wallets. Is that correct? That's that's right. Like I, I do some way, work yeah. for you. Sorry. I do yep. some work for you and I say, Hey Greg, I, I'll just take a crypto payment and you send me, you know, $5,000 straight to my non-custodial wallet. Correct. That's right. Okay. I would do it that way. And, and hopefully it's just, and if I was sending you 5,000 or 50,000, we would make sure that it's a, the wallet you're using on your end is what's called a, a, a hardware wallet or a cold storage wallet. Okay. And so that's a kind of you know, these hot wallets, they're good for this everyday spending kind of stuff where you still have custody, um, but you're not going to want to use large amounts for security reasons. Mm -hmm. um, once you start talking about thousands of dollars, you would want a, a hardware wallet. Okay. And uh, what a hardware wallet is, the most popular ones are Ledger and Trezor. You may have seen those um, around. They kind of look like a little, like a stick drive, mm -hmm. basically. And all they do, they, they do one thing and one thing really well, and that's they create private keys and they sign transactions and they don't do anything else. Okay. They're just very simple devices that that and that that do a very specific purpose and that keeps them extra secure. So if you want to like store large amounts of money, you want to make sure to use one of these ultra secure types of wallets like a hardware wallet. Okay. Now, let's talk about security, like financial security. Um, and I think that's probably any newbie's biggest concern yeah. is, you know, uh, today is pretty simple. Most folks, uh, if they want to play with their money, they can sign into their bank account online, um, move their money, pay their credit cards, pay their bills, withdraw money sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and, and we trust the banks for the most part, they're pretty secure. Um, and so with crypto, this is, this is a whole new thing. There's a lot of new terminology, which, uh, it makes people hesitant to get involved. There's a yeah. lot of new ways to, um, transfer money and move it around, which is confusing for people because, uh, if they're not experienced in it, then, you know, it makes them afraid uh, that they're going to lose their money. So, so let's talk, uh, security around cryptocurrency and, and maybe some of the main coins. Sure. And one thing I love, one of my favorite phrases is that like the point of Bitcoin is to be your own bank, yeah. right? It's like before you needed a bank, now you can be your own bank. And that's, these hardware wallets are kind of like, that's a foundation of becoming your own bank. Mm -hmm. So from a security perspective, um, this hardware wallet's going to create this really strong password for you called a private key. Mm -hmm. And a private key um, can be generated from these like, this 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 list of words right and 12 they seem words like, right yeah 12 yeah. words sometimes it's 24 words mm -hmm. there's actually 2048 words that uh that it's selected from randomly and from this list of words you can create a private key so when you set up this wallet it's going to give you these 12 words or 24 it's going to tell you to write them on paper and it's going to show the words on that device and it'll never show it on your computer you should never punch those words into your computer um, you only ever write them on paper and from there, we'll actually take that piece of paper with those words and we should actually punch them into metal. I love, there's a thing called a crypto steel that, that I love. And there's a, a, there's a few different products like this, but it's a way for hammering your words into a chunk of metal so that it's ultra safe because these words are your private key that holds your crypto. Um, and there's various kind of next level strategies that you can do um, to even protect your crypto further. Yeah. But Punching it your your words into metal and making sure that they are never see a computer is an amazing starting point. You'd be way ahead if you just did that. So the reason for that, so these words are kind of like your bank account number, correct? And um, no, I think of it like your bank account password. Your bank account password. Okay, better. And yeah. if you lose even one of the words, you can't log into your account and move your money around and withdraw your money, right? 
So that's that's why they say, and there's people that even invested and probably still today that have invested in crypto in the early days. And then for whatever reason, maybe they put the, the words on their computer and a computer hard drive crashed, or they put them on their phone, their phone got stolen, or they put them maybe on a piece of paper and then they lost a piece of paper and they can no longer, if they don't remember them, they can no longer access them. That's right. I actually, I, I don't know if you recommend this, but would you recommend memorizing your 12 words or 24? No. How come? Um, but um, cause you're going to forget them. <laughs> I mean, that's the best, that's the best reason. Um, but there's, so if you want to take that it, and it's not a huge next step, but the next step uh-huh. is that you've got your 12 words. Um, you can use what's called a passphrase and a passphrase. You can think of it like a 13th word that you made up. Okay. And I, I do recommend in, um, sometimes when you set up your wallet, it's, it's not on by default to have a passphrase, okay. but, um, make sure to activate passphrase functionality come up with that 13th word and that's where you're going to store your crypto. And that is something that you can remember because this way, if someone even stumbles into your chunk of metal, they still can't get your crypto without your passphrase. Right. So, so I think that's even the next, the next step after that, which would be, and that's something you can remember, should remember. I also would recommend though, punch that passphrase into a chunk of metal and give it to someone. That's separate from the other chunk of metal, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That person, all they've got is your passphrase. So they can't, they can't get your crypto. They, in fact, they can lose it if they want to. Um, it's not a big deal. Just, they should probably tell you if they lose it. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's a good way to have a backup for your memory just, or in case something happens to you. So talk, let's talk more security. How safe is your money in cryptocurrency? Um, it's the, it's crypto. Uh, how do you say this? Um, to guess your password would be like finding a specific grain of sand on planet Earth. Okay. It may be even more secure than that. So the cryptography has never been cracked. It very it it may someday, you know, hear you hear people talk about like quantum computing is coming and what's going to happen to crypto when quantum computers and AI take over. The reality is that's so, that's so far off of a problem mm-hmm. that even the smartest cryptographers on earth are like not even working on that right now. Like they don't even care right? because if it was to happen, um, it, it would be like, we could just change the type of encryption that Bitcoin uses by then, or we could just kind of from that point forward, we could fork off. There's a lot of solutions, but no one's guessing your password or your, your private key. Right. So would you say it's safer than a bank? Oh yeah. And a bank, there's like hundreds of Joes walking around that you're that are looking into your account and snooping on what you're doing and mm-hmm. know your name and your at your home address and how much money you have. Yeah. You can't you can't even work with them without all of that being right. the case. And and so now I know there's um, forks of Bitcoin or other coins that are out there. Now nowadays there's there's hundreds of coins, would you say? There's there's a lot of thousands. Thousands. And some of those have got hacked, is that right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Why are those um, those getting hacked and which ones aren't getting hacked? What's getting hacked is not the cryptography that underpins it. It's the way, for example, that the the founders of these projects protect the private key. It's okay. just like they didn't hammer it into metal, use a passphrase, give it to someone as a backup. They just like they were they were uh, that they, they didn't take proper care of their private key for their project. And I think that's the reason you hear about a lot of hacks. Okay, that makes sense. So what are the safest coins to buy? What do you recommend? You know, somebody's going to get started and they're dipping their toes into crypto. What would you recommend? Where do you where do they start? Sure. Bitcoin is the starting point for everyone in crypto, period. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the place to start. Um, it's it's almost some people joke that it's like the boomer coin at this point, but it really is the <laughs> gateway to everything else. Okay. Um, and so you can, you know, create your Coinbase account, get some money in there, buy some Bitcoin and leave it in there and as, as a starting point. Um, but when you do that, you'll see that Coinbase sells a thousand other coins. And it's sort of like if you've ever like used the stock market, you maybe had an idea one day, man, I should, I should buy some Apple stock. Yeah. You go to get some Apple stock and you realize there's 10,000 other stocks that you could be buying. Yeah. Um, it's, it's no different, but Bitcoin is the place to start. Um, the next, big, the next you know, biggest contender is Ethereum. And you'll hear Ethereum talked about a lot these days because Ethereum enables more than money. Bitcoin wants to only focus on and be the soundest, best money. Okay. Um, but the idea for Ethereum is like, what if you could take all of these principles of decentralization and permissionlessness 
And what if we could, and trustworthiness, and what if you could apply those to other things that are not money? Mm -hmm. And so Ethereum is kind of more a general purpose blockchain that you can do things like um, run software on those blockchains. You could, uh, I think one of the original ideas that sort of inspired Ethereum was this idea of like having domain names on the internet. Like right now we have this like central authority that manages every domain name on earth. Right. And uh, like you can't set up shop tomorrow selling domain names because you don't have like a license with ICANN, right, to do so. Right. Um, and so Ethereum was born with this idea that like we could create decentralized, permissionless software. And uh, it just so happens Ethereum is the underlying token and it's the gas that powers everything on the Ethereum network. So define for us crypto dummies, centralized and decentralized. Sure. So your bank is centralized. Okay. Uh, they've got a ledger somewhere like that they host internally that shows every deposit, every withdrawal, every every transaction. No one else can see or has access to that very important information that they hold. In Bitcoin, the ledger is completely public information. In fact, not only is it public, it's spread across thousands of computers all over the internet, all over the world. In fact, all of, there's even satellites circling the world holding this information. Mm -hmm. And all of those computers are staying in sync with one another and keeping a copy of this of that ledger of the Bitcoin blockchain and in a very decentralized fashion. But all those transactions are not associated with any names or social security numbers or date of births or anything like that. Correct? That's right. It's just this random string of gibberish <laughs> sent Bitcoin to this random string of gibberish. And, and tell us what the value is in that. You know, we talk about transparency. Transparency is very important in a business. Even more and more entrepreneurs and companies are becoming open and completely transparent with how they handle all of their finances. And it gives their customers and clients like a new form of respect because they know everything that this company is doing with their money. They're not holding it into a, in a ledger behind closed doors. So tell us the value of a currency actually being decentralized. Sure. It's really, it's a lot about access. And so this term of permissionlessness, I think is one of the big ones. Mm -hmm. And that's that to open a bank account, you might walk in there, ask to open an account and they might be like, mm, you know what? Nah, not you. Like <laughs> next, you know, who's next? <laughs> they can do that. Yeah. And, you know, they're they're a central entity that can make that decision. But Bitcoin is it's a protocol. It's like think of it like email. Like you can send an email to anyone. It might go in their junk folder, but you can do it. Right. And Bitcoin is is the, an example of that. Right. That makes sense. Okay. I think we've hit all the kind of basics of Bitcoin and getting involved. Now we'll dive down some deeper rabbit holes. Decentralized finance now. So you guys remember what decentralized is. It's not a centralized bank. It is a decentralized, transparent yeah. ledger platform where people can go and see all the transactions that are happening in the world with cryptocurrency. So what is the decentralized finance, also known as DeFi? Yeah. So we talked about Ethereum and how it enabled more than just um, the creation and movement of money. Mm -hmm. It can run any software, really. Um, and you probably you may have heard the term smart contract thrown around. And a smart contract, all it is is a tiny piece of software that lives in the blockchain. Anyone can write the software. Anyone can post it into the Ethereum blockchain. And anytime you interact with that software, it'll it'll do exactly what it's designed to do. Right? It's it's open source. You can read the code if if you know how to read code, mm -hmm. and you can see. When money comes into the smart contract, it does this, then this, and then that. And it'll do it every time because this software is copied across thousands of computers across the internet and it'll never change. So this, this simple concept of smart contracts or software built on top of blockchains allows you to sort of like recreate software. It can, you can reinvent industries. Mm -hmm. And I think the banking industry is the first industry where it makes the clearest sense to disrupt using this technology. So DeFi or decentralized finance is really just taking the kind of product and services page on uh, on JP Morgan Chase's uh, website and just recreating every product and service on there as a decentralized um, application on an open network. Right. Which means what are the opportunities in de decentralized finance? Um, the simplest and starting point would be just 
checking accounts and savings accounts. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, a DeFi app that I use for savings where I just deposit my stable coins into this um, smart contract and I generate 20% yield on it and I can withdraw anytime I want. And I'm essentially loaning um, my money to this smart contract and the smart contract is investing it or staking it in other protocols. And all of that is, is run by software, not by humans. And the decisions are made by the software. Right. Okay. So you mentioned stable coins. So yeah. we haven't touched on those yet. Tell us we what haven't. we've talked about Bitcoins and Ethereum coins and Litecoins and Dogecoins. <laughs> What's a stable coin? This is so fun because, you know, we talk about this rabbit hole, right? It's like, I can't even get to like the second thing without there's 20 more questions from the first thing. And that's, <laughs> that is what the rabbit hole is all about. Man. Yeah. I love it. Um, and so, yeah, for you, sorry, for you yeah. that are new to cryptocurrency, take your time with the terminology. I'm still learning myself. It takes a while, just like yeah. there's yield spread and front end and back end on mortgages and different things you need to pay attention to when you're dealing with your own money, interest rates, capitalization, all this stuff. The more you know about money, the more knowledge you have around money, the better you'll be at handling it and be, being your own custodian. And so this is something that's going to take time for everybody in cryptocurrency, because this is one thing that's scaring, you know, not scaring people off, but making them timid about getting involved is because of all the new terminology. So guys, just take your time with it. We know there's a lot of new terminology, but it'll come and eventually it'll yeah. become part of your normal lingo and you'll understand all these terms. So, okay. I agree. Stable coins. Yeah. So stable coins are, you know, one of the issues with Bitcoin and one of the struggles with it is that it is booming. Like demand for Bitcoin is booming, which mm -hmm. in turn, since it has a fixed supply, means the price is booming. And when it booms too far, it busts pretty far. Mm -hmm. And that makes Bitcoin quite volatile. So it's hard to use Bitcoin for everyday payments. Like if I want to send you $1,000, that $1,000 I send you today might be worth 10000 tomorrow. Right. That would, that would be dope. Yeah. But you never know. <laughs> um, and so this idea of stable coins is maybe maybe we can create a cryptocurrency that that lacks volatility where the volatility is stripped out of it and there's a couple different ways they can exist the first and easiest to understand is coinbase issues a stable coin it's called usdc and for every one dollar bill that you deposit into coinbase they will issue you a one dollar stable coin and they've got a bank account somewhere holding billions of dollars worth of dollars. Mm -hmm. And for every dollar in that bank account is a USDC floating around on, on a blockchain. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't even know that myself. So yeah. this is essentially kind of like getting a currency that can't or does not fluctuate as much as uh, like a, a non a currency that is not as stable, right? So yeah. it, it, am I defining that right? So like if I got a dollar bill, Yep. Um, it, it's essentially like getting a dollar bill and five years down the road, that dollar bill will pretty much be worth the same. It'll be worth a dollar. It'll be worth a dollar. What you can buy with it might have changed. What you can buy with it. That's the, the tricky part, right? Uh, that is the tricky part. So It's the sneaky part. <laughs> it is a sneaky part. So you hold stable coins. Like what's the, you know, you're big into Bitcoin and Ethereum, and I think you have some other coins as well. But mm -hmm. why then have a stable coin if you're so bullish on the Bitcoin, Ethereum and these other coins? Yeah. So we talked about like what someone's portfolio breakdown kind of might be. Right. Okay. And even like for me today, my I have like 40 percent of my portfolio is Bitcoin. 20 mm -hmm. percent um, of it is Ethereum. Right. We're talking 60 percent of my portfolio is like the two main things that everyone can just buy in a couple clicks right now today. And they should. And that is because that's the starting point. Everyone I know who succeeded in crypto, the majority of their portfolio is Bitcoin and or Ethereum. Okay. That's across the board. Um, I have another 20%, which is these, I think about them sort of like angel investments. All these thousands of other random tokens, um, some of them are app, like DeFi apps. Some of them are like other protocols that are trying to be kind of Ethereum killers. There's, a, there's thousands of them. I sort of angel invest in them is kind of the way I think about it in that kind of spread it out. Maybe maybe you'll get lucky on a few of them. Um, obviously, you want to invest with some sort of investment thesis, mm -hmm. right? Like maybe you think privacy is is a big concern and that that'll be, or it'll be a bigger concern in the future. Um, maybe you think, you know, like certain, like cryptocurrencies bound to specific countries is an opportunity. 
Um, I happen to think today one of my investment thesis is that I think stable coins are really going to be a huge part of crypto in the future. Mm -hmm. The funny thing about that thesis, though, is you can't just buy a bunch of stable coins and hope to make money. Right. The whole point of a stable coin is it's not going. It's, it's going to be stable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you got to kind of work around the edges. Um, and so these are kind of some of the things that make up my angel investing venture capital bucket, so to speak. And then my final 20 percent um, is in stable coins. And the way I think about those is, you know, you always hear about these guys on Wall Street that have like uh, a 60 40 portfolio of like stocks and bonds, mm -hmm. or maybe it's like an 80 20 stocks and bonds, right? And like, what the hell is up with these bonds? Right. Like, who are who's buying bonds and like organizing their portfolio? It, it never made sense to me. I didn't really understand why. And the reason why is they want to generate income, right? They want this part of their portfolio that's not just volatile they want one that's going to be stable and it can only go up now it only goes up a, a lot less than the other things might go up right but it but it just goes up less and risky that, investment exactly it's less risky it's income maybe they use that as the income they live on is another way of thinking about it these professional investors how do they decide how much money they have to spend on things most of their money is locked up in their investments maybe in having this income bucket and that, that, that kind of, uh, I think about this stable coin bucket as an income bucket, mm -hmm. and I use it to um, earn yield on these opportunities within DeFi. Let's talk about a new term that's on the market that I think it relatively has hit main media in the past maybe six or eight months. And we're talking about NFTs or non-fungible sure. tokens, and it's a decentralized asset. What in the world is this? Yeah. So the word fungible means it's the interchangeable is a way of thinking about okay. it. Like uh, your one dollar, we can swap one dollar bills and, mm -hmm. because they're fungible. Even if yours is like a little ripped or has some a coffee stain on it, it's it's still, it's still worth, I'll still swap you. I don't care. Yeah. Um, so cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are have that same fungibility. Yeah. Right. Um, crypto, uh, an NFT is something that's not fungible. So this idea that I have a token that I can't trade for one of your tokens because they have different values, even though they're similar. Okay. So one of the first uh, kind of use cases for this and the way, what we've been seeing happen, which is pretty cool, is NFTs, is this, uh, this angle on it from like an artwork or like a maker kind of angle. Um, and when I talk about maker, you know, like product hunt type of projects or like artists or people who are like, creatives rather okay. who they like to create and make things and they want to release them into the world um you know a hundred years ago when an artist made a painting it was this physical object that right. you could pass around and only one person can have it and it wasn't fungible with anything else right right and nowadays when if someone makes digital art um they could just like hit save 12 times and make 12 copies of it. There's nothing right. about it that per, that makes it. Yeah. yeah like unique. unique. Yeah. Um, so non fungible tokens are this way of creating artwork on the blockchain. That is the original. You can see historically on the blockchain. Hey, this is the first time this piece of art has ever existed on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And what's cool is that, you know, for a digital artist, their art never had a physical representation. Mm -hmm. there, there never was an original. So this is a new channel for a lot of these creatives to kind of release their work in a way where they can, they can control um, the kind of release of it and they can have originals and they can create markets for their products and, and release them into the world in a safe way. So I guess on the ledger or the platform, you can see all these NFTs, non-fungible tokens, um, where they're created, what's the original, what is not. This would be like somebody creating the original Mona Lisa and then having an actual record that exists online that you can check to make sure that any other Mona Lisas that were reproduced were not actually the original Mona Lisa. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And even the Mona Lisa gets knocked off every day, right? There's yeah. people trying to do that. Um, with blockchain, you can't necessarily, you can't knock off the, the Mona Lisa of NFTs. Yeah. So again, another transparent platform 
that is showing people um, an actual record of where a thing was created, another platform or a ledger that is showing where money is being transacti- transacted. So there's never any questions. There's never any closed doors. And by opening that up, it just allows complete transparency and authenticity in anything that you do, any of the work that you create, any of the finance, any of the money that you exchange. That's right. And what's so cool about NFTs is first of all, it's a lot more fun than DeFi, quite honestly. Okay. People, it's the first kind of non-money product that blockchains have introduced where like it's bringing in like people who are not finance guys into the space right tell us there was an nft what was the record like the the largest nft that was oh man transaction Um, the largest oh what's his name i don't even follow him but you know christie's like auctioned off his nft for like 80 million i think is has it did it go for higher um beeple that's his name okay um this guy, Beeple, he's a digital artist. Um, he's been making digital art every day. He releases a new piece of art that he created on his computer. Mm-hmm. And he was doing this, I think, before NFTs ever existed. Mm-hmm. And once NFTs came around, he started releasing every day this kind of blockchain-based version of his artwork. And the price just continued to attract more and more interest um, every day. And eventually, he sold like a collage of every NFT he ever made for like, I don't even, hundreds of millions. It's kind of ridiculous. And, and why would somebody want to buy that? Um, people may be like remembered as the first NFT artist. Like so, he's the Mona Lisa of blockchain art. Yeah. And it's a risk. It's it's This is not like investing in protocol level stuff like Bitcoin and Ethereum. This is like taking big risk with the hopes of big reward just like how someone invests in 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 artwork and today. Right, right. Okay. Oh, there's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> it's exciting. Like, but this is the thing, you guys. It, uh, anytime you get a new system to play with, so you know, the first time I got an Apple computer it was like 11 years ago or something like that. And I went from obviously Dell computers or or PCs to to an Apple and I said, okay, I know this is a completely different operating system. I'm gonna take a month to be patient with it and learn it and learn it well. And while I do that and then you know, continue on full-time work uh, after that month, not that I was just studying the Apple, but just like that was my practice time, right? So same thing with this, you guys, is cryptocurrency. There's a lot of new things that are coming your way. Uh, take some time, you know, study a few minutes a day, start to dabble and play, and you'll get some experience, and then you'll start to understand it. Literally from April until now, April is when a couple of my friends, you being one of them, Gerbs, really kind of convinced me to start buying cryptocurrency. And and from April to now, my, my the amount of knowledge that I've learned is uh, massively significant, and I understand a lot of these terms that you're throwing out there, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense, why this is this and that and and then that's that. And it becomes, again, a common part of our, our lingo on a regular day-to-day basis. Totally. And you talked about using it. I mean, that is how you really learn how to do it. Yeah. Like you can't crack a book and learn about this, just like you didn't crack a book to learn how to use your Apple computer. Yeah. Um, and on the BitLift podcast, we, we always say, like, we don't just stack crypto, we use it. Yeah. And what we mean by that is that is the way that we've learned everything that we've learned about crypto is just by using it, playing and getting comfortable with it. Yeah. And and Gerbs mentioned his portfolio. I'll just go over that really quick. 40% in Bitcoin, 20% in Ethereum, 20% in stable coins for income, and then 20% in other what he considers angel venture capitalist investing. And some of those coins are Luna, Nexo, Thorchain, Curve, and Monero, right? That's right. Sums it up. Any investments in stocks or gold and silver or land or... I haven't looked at it in a decade. I traded stocks in high school. Like I'd wake up, I was on the Pacific coast. I'd wake up at 6 a.m. and trade stocks before school, like before the opening bell. Really? And... I haven't looked at the a freaking chart, a stock chart in eight years. <laughs> okay. Anything else you think we need to touch on? Um, if you wanted to, just kind of how we generate some income in stablecoin stuff. Um, 
but I think we, we touched on a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm looking here at the notes for DeFi yields and it gets pretty, pretty in depth. And, yeah, and exactly. Um, I think for, for crypto for dummies, I think this is a, a good kind of dropping off point, but I, I'd love to know, you know, what you what you guys are doing at BitLift, what you guys are talking about on the podcast, you know, maybe some more information. Some people can, can learn about how they can get involved in cryptocurrency. Sure. So uh, about a year ago, I wrote on BitLift, I wrote this guide, uh, it's called the Bitcoin rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And it was just everything I learned about Bitcoin for so many years, I kept getting so many questions. So I wrote like this sort of ebook or, or a guide to just getting going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And I've gotten so much awesome feedback on that. But writing is hard, like writing a book or any writing anything is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I find people asking a lot of these questions, but I couldn't just I couldn't I'm not a writer. It's not my jam. And I, I much more enjoy like talking to people about it. So the podcast is my way of just collecting all of these questions from people and uh, succinctly organizing them in a way that we can we kind of break it down. Um, at Bitlift, we run like a Discord group where we've got a couple hundred people just talking crypto all day and asking questions. And we help people with the most basic of things every single day. Um, and that's kind of, uh, we use that information to kind of come up with ideas for episodes of the podcast. Awesome. So my background's in e-commerce. Um, so BitLift started as this, like this kind of playground for me to like kind of the, I call it crypto commerce, like the overlap of mm -hmm. e-commerce and cryptocurrency and just really experiment with that kind of intersection. Um, so we sell mo lots of different things that you can buy with crypto, things like hardware wallets, things like those chunks of metal we talked about earlier for hammering <laughs> your private key into you can buy that stuff at BitLift. Um, and then bitlift.com slash podcast is kind of where we uh, break down all the stuff we're talking about. Um, it's really just kind of like my playground. You know, I like to say that, um, you know, investing in crypto is kind of fills my pockets and then helping people invest in crypto fills my tank. Hey, there you go. Fills your soul, right? There you go. <laughs> okay. So you guys check out bitlift.com and the BitLift podcast to learn more about cryptocurrency and start taking the dive. You guys, I'm, I'm more than serious where like this is the future of money flat out like there's there's no joke. And if you're not starting now, you're going to get behind a major curve and it's really going to shift how we handle money in the future. I'm amazed, you know, that even the younger generations, how few of them don't use cash currency. Everything about their lives has come from an Internet driven world. And so their currency is going to be that as well. And there'll be a time when there's just a huge shift where the vast majority of the population is is probably using some form of cryptocurrency in one way or the other. And you definitely want to get in front of that curve because we're still in, even though it's 12, 13 years old now, we're still in the very much wild, wild, wild west newbie days of what's happening. Any other outlook that you want to share, Gerbs, about the future of crypto? Yeah, I would just like uh, leave on this question of like, you know, if you get paid or if you have a job or an employer that's uh, that's that's paying you some money, why do you think it is that they want uh, this direct deposit set up? Why do you think, you know, they want to pay you from their bank account straight to yours? They don't. The money doesn't even go through you anymore. It goes from their bank to your bank. Your pockets are empty. Why is that? And maybe crypto could be a solution to that. I like it. All right, guys, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Appreciate all your time and knowledge and wisdom. And I definitely want to have you on a podcast in the future. We can talk some more cryptocurrency and, and what's going on in the global economy. So thank you so much, man. I do it every day. This was fun. And listeners, thank you guys for tuning in to the show. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us. And once again, we wanted to remind you about our adventures and trips for entrepreneurs in our private community. If you enjoy luxury trips to the Caribbean, going on bucket list adventures around the world, or just traveling to connect with other established entrepreneurs, then be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to stay connected at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. Thanks for joining the show today, and we'll see you on the next episode.